This morning, I'm talking about choosing joy in the journey. This is a word that God has spoken to my life for this new year. 2018 for me is a year that I choose joy. Because I am on a journey. We are all on a journey in life. And how are you going to walk through it? How are you going to experience it? You have a choice. There are moments in my life where I recall where I was filled with a lot of joy. Or things that still continue to bring me joy. Can I share those with you this morning? Achievements bring me joy. The first one you'll see here is when I graduated high school. Yeah, look at that girl, skinny mini me. 1997. It's hard to believe. I know, it's crazy. Don't tell me how old y'all are if you're younger. I don't want to know. But then I went on to college and worked very hard for four years. And there she is. Super proud, super excited. Achievements can bring us joy. And then I met this man while I was there preparing for those years. And he asked me to marry him. 19 years ago in May, that man got down on his knee and asked me, will you come on this journey with me? And I say, yes. (laughs) And then in May, May 20th of 2000, I walked down the aisle and became the bride to this man. And those were some moments of joy. My wedding was very joyful. And then there was the birth of my children. Now this picture shows what kind of things really happen in the cruise house. This really happened while I was in labor with my firstborn. The process of birthing does not bring joy, okay? Especially when you have a man like this in the room. He begged me to put that picture in. And I was like, I want to put a picture of me with like the tears streaming down my face, holding my little baby. That's joy. That is what he begged. And I I was like, you know what? This is a good depiction of us. (laughs) Find joy in the moments, right? In between those contractions, he was finding lots of joy. And I was working on not killing him. Then there's our yearly trip to the ocean. You see that crazy bunch? They bring me joy. And I love the ocean. Do I have any ocean lovers out there? Yeah. There is nothing like it. Oh, my goodness. For me, every summer when I open up the balcony and I step out there and I hear the waves and I smell that salty air, hear the seagulls. Am I getting you excited for summer? (laughs) It's there when I am in awe of his creation and beauty. I find joy in that. Then there's dreaming with my husband. I put this down because these are moments etched into my life, into my memory. I'll never forget. We sat down one night before we started traveling as evangelists. And we just started dreaming together. And we started writing down our dreams and our hopes and our desires. 
I'll never forget those moments as we sat there asking God, what do you want us to do? And just dreaming together, big dreams, dreams that were looked at it. were like, this is crazy. This is beyond us, but that's joy. There's joy in those moments and working on life together. That's joy. So I looked up the meaning of joy. What is it? It's a great feeling of pleasure or happiness. That's how it's defined. Now, I don't want to split hairs between joy and happiness. I do have an opinion, though. There are some differences about joy and happiness, and we'll kind of go into those later. But right now, I really want to just focus in on joy. I want to dig in, and I want to find some scriptures. And I have found lots of scriptures for you. So get ready. So if you have a bulletin, turn it over and use the back, because I'm going to give you a lot of scripture references, because God speaks to us about joy. And his words are way more important than mine. So if you are looking for joy or you need joy, write these down. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you that we have complete access to your throne room. I thank you, Lord, that it is your joy that is for us. And so, God, would you just overflow in us today? Lord, speak to us and plant your word so deep in our heart, God, that joy may overflow. In your name, amen. All right. So as I was preparing for this message, I was really struggling. Like, Lord, what is the main text? Where are you going to go with this? And I kept, because I was in Philippians a lot. And um, I just didn't feel like that was our main text. And so I kept praying. And he brought me to David in 2 Samuel 6. And let me give you a little background knowledge before we start reading verse 9. They were had the Ark of the Covenant. And they were bringing it and they were all celebrating and rejoicing before the ark but it stumbled and Yuza put his hand out and touched the thing that God said don't touch and it angered God and God struck him down so David was angry that this happened and he he's just like what do I do so this is where we pick up in 2 Samuel 6, starting in verse 9, it says, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and in his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. And everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down, brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Rejoicing is the active word of joy, just so you know. That's the action part. That is the verb of joy. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and, and a fattened calf. David, wearing the linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal or Michael, however you want to say it, they have like the Hebrew has like sounds to it. And since I have my surgery, I can't make the sounds too well. <laughs> so we'll just say Michal, okay? Maybe a little more Russian sounding than... <laughs> In Hebrew. But anyways, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it 
to its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person, the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless the household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David, who loved God, who had a heart after God, celebrated, rejoiced. He danced with such joy. You see, when joy is in you, it cannot help but come out. Now, when I was a little girl, many of you that do know me from, when, from way back then know that I was very shy, very timid, very prim and proper. And I'm still prim and proper to this day. But when you see me worship, you know that I do not care what you think. Because I am going to worship him. So whether I'm stomping my feet, dancing around, pointing my finger, I don't care because it's before God. And so it kind of reminds me of this little girl. (laughs) You know, I could watch her all day long. Do you know why? Because she's full of joy. You know, I would have been that little girl there in the front staring at her like... I'm not her. No way. But, you know, as I get older, I realize I really don't care what anybody thinks. (laughs) I love God. And his joy in me means more than anything else. And you know what? It's so evident in that little girl. The joy is just overflowing out of her. Man, have we missed the mark sometimes. The English Standard Version of the Bible, you'll see that the word joy, rejoice, or joyful, it appears 430 times compared with the word happy or happiness, which only appears 10 times. See, joy is lasting. And it satisfies the heart in a unique and marvelous way. We were created for joy. Joy is not something we were created to live without because he is joy. Joy comes from God. He wants us to experience true joy. So when I see that little girl dancing, man, I have laughed with tears in my eyes. I've watched the whole thing because I just love watching her have such joy. What has happened to our joy as we grow up, as we become mature, right? What happened in our childhood years to the wonder? What has scathed us so much that we have left no room for joy? Depression and anxiety right now are at an all-time high. Or how about we work and we work and we work and we work and we never accomplish our task because there's always, what, more work? Or how about social media? It's just vying for our attention constantly. Your phone just ding, ding, constant. 
Or how about we just run ourselves so ragged in the busyness of life? There's so many distractions. Who has time for joy? But let you, I just want to let you know that there is joy. You can have joy. Don't just cope. Don't just get through. But what is stealing our joy? Well, we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But sometimes I think we need to shoulder some of that responsibility ourselves. We've allowed so much influence and negativity from the world to infect our lives that we walk around defeated, depressed, like busy little robots. But I believe that is not the life that God has ever intended us to have from the very beginning. I think we need to shoulder some of the responsibility because you know what? Man makes poor choices. And when there's a poor choice, there's, there's a consequence, right? That's what I teach my children. You make a poor choice, there's a consequence. We make poor choices, and therefore we walk around so empty and depleted, wondering, God, where is my joy? Well, I know some things that can rob us from our joy, and that's what I want to kind of first identify them. Because if we don't confront it, how can we defeat it? So what is robbing us of joy in our lives? Sin. Sin robs joy from our lives. Well, some of you might counter-argue and say, well, I know a lot of sinful people that seem really happy. Yeah, for a moment. See, the writer of Hebrews tells us that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Yeah, sin is fun for a moment, but it catches up to us real fast. Or 2 Thessalonians 2.12, it says that we will, that, so that all will be condemned who have not believed in the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. If you're living in sin, if it's not what God has for you, it's going to catch up to you. It's going to rob you of your peace. It's going to rob you of your joy. And it's going to just really make you miserable in the long run, honestly. Have you ever met some real miserable people? Do you want to be around miserable people? No. And that's what sin does. Sin will isolate you from your heavenly father, and sin will isolate you from the whole body of Christ. Either you're going to hide in it, or people aren't just going to want to be with you. That's what sin does. What else robs us from joy? And ladies, this one, I'm really going to point to you, because I know we struggle with this one a lot. But men, you're, you're not excluded. Insecurity. Insecurity will rob you over and over again. When I think of an insecure person in the Bible, I think of King Saul. He was extremely insecure. He was so jealous of David's abilities. He was jealous of the love that the people had for David. That he allowed the jealousy to grow so deep within that it became hate. He became more worried about the applause of man than the commands of God. And so now we know King Saul as for his weaknesses and his failures more than anything else. Insecurity is a breeding ground for discontentment, bitterness, rivalry, and envy. And guess what? The Bible does have a lot to say about that. Galatians 5, 14 through 15 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Easy, right? But I love what it goes on to say here. 
if you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. Insecure people will gossip, will slander, will be envious. And if you do that, watch out, because you will be destroyed by that. Proverbs 14.30 goes on to say, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Insecurity will rob you of your joy. A lukewarm relationship with God will rob your joy. Now, there are those who think, well, I will be a Christian when it's convenient. Right? Christmas, Easter. It's nothing meaningful. And the Bible does talk about the lukewarm. It says that God will spew him out of, their, out of his mouth. He cannot stand lukewarm. Isaiah 29 says it like this. The Lord says that these people come near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their harps, hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. See, a lukewarm Christian will just kind of float in and float out, but there's never really been a change of heart. You know how I know this is for people that float in and float out? Because 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That's strong. But you know how I know that they've been in the church because they have a form of godliness. They just kind of float in and float out have nothing to do with such people. Those are some strong words. Where these issues abound, where there's sin, where there's insecurity, or whether there's not a strong relationship with God, those are issues that do not allow for joy to enter in because you have not made room for him. So what does your countenance look like? Can people see the joy of the Lord in you? have to ask yourself what and you know i'm gonna be honest there are times where i just don't feel joyful and i don't feel like it i don't want to do it but that only leads down the road to other feelings of being discontent being frustrated who wants to live a life like that when i can have joy in the lord and so joy is a choice Now, here's the good news. You ready? We can make that decision. It is possible. And I'm going to give you some tips on how you can know that you can have joy, how you can access joy. But they're your choice to make. Joy is possible when we know who we are, when we are secure in the Lord. Joy is possible when we know that we are secure in him. 2 Samuel 6.14 It says, David Wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now, I'm going to skip ahead of my notes because I just, this stuck out to me when I was studying so much. 
What that means is that David took off his kingly garment. He took off his authority. He took off who he was, who he was loved as, who he was known as. And he took that robe off and wore the linen ephod, which was the garment of the priest, and laid down his garment to dance before the Lord. Lay down yourself. David was secure enough in his relationship with God that he wasn't, he wasn't waiting on what the people were going to say. He wasn't asking them for permission on what he was going to do, even though he was king and this would be undignified. No, he didn't care because he did it unto God. And then we see here his wife. And this stuck out to me too, how the Bible says that Michal, daughter of Saul, not Michal, wife of David. She became bitter because she saw David giving his all to the Lord. And there was envy. She wasn't secure in that. David knew his motives. David knew that his heart was right. And he goes on to say to her, I will become even more undignified than this. You know, they're having like their little marital spat here. He goes on, David goes on to even bring her father-in-law into it. You know, when you fight with your spouse, you're never supposed to talk about family, right? You don't bring in like, you're just like your mother, right? You don't do that. Well, David goes, he goes, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. I know, right? Those are fighting words, man. But David's heart was right. He was secure in his relationship with the Lord. He knew he was right before the Lord. I'm going to tell you something right now. There are going to be people who just do not understand your relationship with the Lord. And that's okay. It's going to seem strange to them. It's not going to make sense. But remain steadfast in the Lord because there is joy in the Lord. Psalms 4, 6 through 8. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and their new wine abound. In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then there's Philippians. You want to read about joy? You go to Psalms, which is hilarious because a lot of the Psalms are about David running away from his enemies. But he writes about joy throughout all of it. And then there's Paul, who's writing in Philippians, who is in prison the whole time, but yet the whole book of Philippians is about joy. Philippians 2, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love being in one spirit and of one mind. Do you see what was weaving that verse together? Love, unity, humility. Those are common elements of of that verse. Church, you cannot pick and choose whom you want to love. We are called to love. And I know that's not always easy because some people don't make it easy to love. Right? 
Come on, be honest. There are some people who are like, oh, Lord, it's just so hard. But you are to love them anyways, not just love the easy ones. But if you're secure in the Lord, you can walk in confidence and love freely. When our walk is secure, we can lift up our face, walk in that confidence and love others because that joy of the Lord is ours to be had. When we accepted Christ in our life, we have complete access to the fruit of his spirit, which is in Galatians. And joy is one of those fruits. There's a quote by Richard Foster. And he says, joy, not grit, is the hallmark of holy obedience. And I'll go on to read the rest of the quote, but I had to look up the word hallmark. Because instantly my mind goes to the Hallmark Channel and I'm thinking about all the wonderful Christmas movies I watched over the holidays. Yes, I'm one of those. But I don't use the word Hallmark in my sentences ever unless it's about the Hallmark store or the Hallmark movie that I already watched. So I looked it up. The word Hallmark means a stamp, a stamp of purity. So when he's saying, when Richard Foster's saying this, he says, joy not grit, is the stamp of holy obedience. We need to be lighthearted in what we do to avoid taking ourselves too seriously, right? It is a cheerful revolt against self and pride. Oh, maybe that garment that David wore, maybe for you that is self and pride and you have to take it off and dance with joy before the Lord. See, that is how you can have joy when you are secure in the Lord. Secondly, joy is possible in all of our circumstances. Every single one. There was a poll generated by a research intelligence group back in 2012. They took a survey to see how happy the world was. And this is the information I found for the United States compared to the rest of the world. 53% of those in the U.S. say that they feel happy. That's just over half. 26% of the U.S. said that they feel neither happy nor unhappy. They're just confused. They don't even know what they feel. 20% of the U.S. said that they feel unhappy. And 1% did not respond, which would probably be me if you were a telemarketer calling my house. I will not respond. You know, I found it interesting, though, as I read on further into the survey, that those who had a religious background did have a higher rate of happiness compared to those who had no belief at all. But then when I broke down the numbers and looked at the numbers of the believers that were Catholics and Protestants, only half of them expressed that they were happy individuals. Now, this is where I believe happiness and joy need to be different and need to be understood a little bit better. See, I can still have joy and not be happy about situations in my life. Happiness can be fleeting in moments. I'm still going to have stress. I'm still going to, you know, deal with depressing thoughts or I'm still going to have hardship. But the joy found in the Lord is there for me. Joy is not a product of my circumstance. I know many people who have much, much wealth and materials and have no joy. You know, back in 2010, and you've probably heard my testimony in some of this. Back in 2010, I experienced what's called a molar pregnancy. 
And that was a very difficult time for me. I remember my husband was away, and we thought, you know, we were just pregnant and possibly facing a miscarriage. And as I went to the doctor that day, and the technician would not look at me, and I knew something was wrong. And she said, just wait here for the doctor, and you get escorted back by a doctor. And nurses, I knew I was facing something more. And I remember hearing them talk, and I just remember just all the medical jargon and what they were trying to explain what happened and what was going on in my body. And essentially, if you don't know what a molar pregnancy is, it's um, a genetically empty egg got fertilized. And so instead of a baby forming, a mass forms. And it keeps multiplying and it keeps growing and growing and growing. But your body's responding like a miscarriage, but your ACG levels are soaring through the roof. And so hormones are like crazy. And you're trying to process that this is not a viable pregnancy. And I remember I felt like the room was just spinning. And I sat there with tears streaming down my face, feeling so alone. Hard moments, dark moments. And as I heard the word cancer being spoken and how we're going to have to check you every month for the next year to make sure that this doesn't form into cancer. And I just remember hearing all that, and I was like, those were some dark times. But I remember the day of my surgery... The Lord had lifted such a weight off of me that I experienced joy and peace in the moment of utter darkness and frustration and just anger. The joy of the Lord is possible in every circumstance because I was able to see the fingerprints of God all over my life. Philippians 2. 17 through 18. This is how I know that the joy of the Lord is possible because as Paul is in chains, he's saying, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. If there's a reason not to rejoice, it's because you're chained up like a prisoner. And then James goes on to say, hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith develops perseverance. I don't like trials. I don't like hard times. But this is what I've learned, and it's spoken in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is my strength. His word is what brings me joy. He brings me joy. And then there is joy in his presence. There is nothing like the presence of the Lord. Nothing. Write this verse down. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not just joy, but fullness of joy. See, apart from his presence, there is no true joy. There are those fleeting moments of happiness that come in and out, but joy overflows from God. 
See, joy can push those feelings that we battle with every day. Joy pushes out sorrow. Joy pushes out anger. Joy pushes out frustration. It pushes out fear. And you know what it does? Joy releases us completely into freedom. Do we still have trials? Yes. Do we still have disappointments? Yes. I am not asking you to walk around with a Barbie mask with this fake smile and pretend to be joyful. No, dig deep into his presence because when you meet your savior face to face, even in the worst of situations, I know that God is there because sorrow may last for the night. Weeping may last for the night, but his joy comes in the morning. David says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and delight. And I will praise you with a harp, oh God, my God. David got it. David understood. Worship allows the presence of God to be evident. Worship changes our focus. It allows the Holy Spirit to move in our life. Worship changes the atmosphere. And that's why there is fullness of joy in him. If you ever see me up here worshiping, please know I'm not looking at you. I'm fixed on him because it's in his presence that there is complete joy. Worship changes things. There is joy in his presence. And then there is a joy for those who walk closely to God. That walk so closely that when you hear him speak, you can hear the whisper. And that's where I love how David took off that kingly robe and wore the ephod, which was the garment of the priest. And he danced with joy before the Lord. He took aside his authority to lay it down before God. That is what God longs for from us. Take off the pride. Take off the busyness. Take off the distractions. Lay them aside and walk so close to him that our joy would look like David's dance before the Lord. We walk around with our face downcast, with, with no hope. We have hope. We have joy. You have complete access to it. If you understood this, I think it would help. Joy is an expression of your faith. When we invite the Lord to live in our life, that joy that is him is ours as well. To live within us complete and full of joy. Jesus said this in John 15, 9 through 12. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this. Listen, I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Remain in him. There is already joy in him. He goes, I'm telling you all this so that you can have that, the joy in me may be in you. But let me complete it now in you. And then he goes on to tell us, love one another. Love. 
you know, growing up, I had some friends who had some really, really horrific homes. The things that their parents would say to them cut them, would just cut them down. Things that no parent should ever say to a child. And I would hear it come out of their mouths. And then my friends would come to my house and they would say, I just want to be like your family. Not that we were perfect. (laughs) We were never perfect in any way. But when Christ is the center of your home, people notice there's something different about this family. And my friends wanted that joy. They wanted that peace. I think that's why they asked to spend the night every weekend. And I understand that now that I have a kid (laughs) who asks about spending the night every weekend. But you see, the world is longing. They're hungry for something. And they're watching. Your children's friends are watching you. They're watching your home. They see how you speak to your children. They see how you love your children. And they are longing for that. You have an answer. Be joy. Be joy to them. Because joy cannot just be manufactured. Who wants to go around pretending to have joy? I want true joy. And I know that that is found when I believe in Jesus and I'm pursuing him. You ever been around someone where joy is just contagious? And you just want to be around that person because they're so joyful. And I, I do. I have, a, I have a group of friends that I adore. And I love how we laugh. I love how we encourage one another. But we laugh sometimes where the tears are just streaming down our cheeks because, not because we're funny, <laughs> but because we share joy with one another. You want to know what laughing can do for you? Well, I'm going to tell you. So get ready. Here's what laughing can do for you, physically. It burns calories. Hallelujah, amen. Come on, who wants to burn some calories? Come on, laugh. (laughs) Come on, that's the best way. I'd rather get on a a thing and laugh than on elliptical. (laughs) It releases endorphins which is that feel-good chemical in your brain. It's actually the same chemical that's released when you are exercising. So again, laugh. It burns calories, and it makes you feel good. Did you know that when you laugh, your whole brain gets involved in the process? Normally, whenever we're doing something, only one side of our brain. One's the analytical side, the other side's the creative side, right? But actually, when you are laughing or you hear a joke, the one side is figuring out what the joke is while the other side is responding. Your whole brain is syncing together and working as one when you laugh. When you laugh, it strengthens the bond that you have with people. I'd rather laugh with someone any day then sit around and worry if they like me. And this is one of my favorites. You ready? All the moms out here, listen. Lean in. Ready? It relaxes your body for up to 45 minutes. Who wants a nap? 
I love naps. I miss naps. I miss them so much. So laugh because you will feel relaxed for at least 45 minutes. If you laugh all day, who knows? You might feel relaxed for a whole week. Going back to Philippians, Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I was listening to a message um, by Francis Chan. And he was talking about this verse. And he said, you know, when Moses came down off of the mountain and he had the commandments, he didn't have to, like, reaffirm it. He just said, you know, do not murder. He didn't say, do not murder. Again, I say, do not murder. (laughs) Can you imagine? It'd be kind of funny. But, you know, Paul really felt like this command, I need to reaffirm this in you. Because we have such a hard time rejoicing. We have such a hard time showing joy. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Listen up, guys. I say it again. Rejoice. He penned those words while being chained in prison. Charles Spurgeon says this, a genuine revival without the joy of the Lord is impossible as spring without flowers or the dawn day without light. You want revival? Let's ask God to renew our joy, to awaken our joy. Rejoicing and walking in joy is the choice that stands before you today. What are you going to reflect? Are you going to reflect the somber frustrations of this world? Or are you going to reflect the joy of the Lord? Reflect joy. Your joy is an expression of your faith. People are watching you. How are you going to respond in hard times? Because hard times are going to come. Your joy is a choice. So, with everybody standing, as our worship team comes up, our response is simply this. Asking God to renew your joy. Some of us have allowed the circumstances and the situations of life to dictate our joy. And we've lost it. Go back to your first love. Go back to those moments where he became the king of your heart and allow him to awaken joy within you. I choose joy today. God, we invite you to be the God of our circumstances. Lord, protect us from the temptation of becoming cynical, of being a product of our environment. Renew within us the joy of our salvation. God, that fullness of joy comes from you and you alone. 
Lord, awaken the joy in our hearts. And Lord, where people have just really struggled, God, with the situations of life, show them, Lord, how your fingerprints have been on it from the very beginning. And that, Lord, you didn't choose these circumstances for us, but God, you knew that we would endure it. Lord, bring joy to those who have been weeping. Renew within them, Lord God. Be their strength. Be their peace. Light a fire within us, God. And allow your joy to overflow, Lord God, in our lives. Not to walk around being a fake Christian. But God, to see that we have the truth, we have the answers, Lord, and we have hope, we have peace, and you are our joy. So renew us, I pray today, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.